the 10th of January 2004. At an apartment block in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, residents complain about a bad smell that has been coming from the ground floor storeroom for some time. The building's maintenance guy investigating the cause of the odour would make a shocking discovery. This is the story of the murder of Lindsay Van Blanken. Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. So tonight on the island, I'll tell you about the senseless and shocking murder of a young lady that had everything going for her, murdered by her jealous and possessive ex-boyfriend. So who was Lindsay Van Blanken? Well, Lindsay was born on the 26th of August 1985. She was described as shy and introverted, but she was also a very kindly affectionate girl with considerable humour and flair. She was a gamer girl, who loved to play games against others on the internet. She was also a very talented artist. She kept a diary filled with her animations and she took that everywhere she went. In mid-2003, aged just 17, she was one of a very small number of people who were accepted as apprentice animators at Disney Disney Tunes from amongst hundreds of applicants. So Lindsay was well on her way towards a career doing something she loved so much. Now let's have a look at William Matheson. He was born on August the 10th, 1982. He was a skilled cellist and was able to get work as a musician at weddings, parties and anything really. He described his childhood as relatively happy and had a wonderful relationship with his parents. However, when he was nine, his brother, his only sibling, who was then 17 years old, committed suicide by jumping off the top floor of the Prince of Wales Hospital. His brother was suffering from schizophrenia. His father and mother suffered from personality disorders and the household was described as disorganised. He started smoking weed at around 13 to 14 years of age. Matheson did his secondary schooling at the Waverley College, a Catholic boys' school known for its toxic teaching environment and intense bullying of students at the time. Matheson had been subject to this pack bullying and felt as an outsider. Although he was of above intelligence, his scholastic results were generally poor to average. He studied up to the higher school certificate level and obtained a very poor result. The one thing he did excel in was music. His first job when he left school was as an apprentice doing panel van conversions. After six months, he left and had no full-time work after that. 
He would often be called upon to play his cello in orchestras and other musical groups. It was one of these occasions when Matheson was called upon to play the cello at a wedding. The wedding was for Lindsay's mother, Cynthia, and soon-to-be stepfather, David Pleasance, on the 13th of April 2001. Matheson was playing the cello as part of a string quartet, which performed at the wedding. During the night, Matheson and Lindsay were introduced to each other, swapped phone numbers and a friendship developed between the two of them, which gradually became closer and more intimate. Apparently, they would not go out on normal dates. Rather, they would go for late-night walks and return in the morning. As the relationship developed, Lindsay started to change. She started to adopt the same fashion sense as Matheson, wearing old clothes and eventually started wearing a black beanie as Matheson wore. By all accounts, it was a casual relationship and Lindsay continued to live with her mum and stepfather in Carrington Roads, Queen's Park, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. Matheson lived in Coogee, not far from Lindsay, with his pet rats. Lindsay was not only interested in her art, she was also fond of playing online computer games with others all over the world. It was here that she would get to know Brandon Leonard, a 21-year-old hairdresser from Seattle, Washington. They got on so well that they ended up doing video chat where Brandon was surprised to find that Lindsay was a girl and not a guy. Although Lindsay was still hanging around with Matheson, over time her online relationship with Brandon flourished. Lindsay's mum noticed that she started to change. Little by little, she started to wear different clothes and her whole outlook on life seemed much brighter than before. Lindsay then got the opportunity of a lifetime when she and around 300 others were accepted for an interview at Disney Toons. She was accepted as an apprentice animator and you can see her credits on IMDb as an in-between artist for Donald, Daisy, Goofy and Clarabelle in the animated movie Mickey, Donald, Goofy, The Three Musketeers, released in 2004. By around June 2003, the relationship got to the point that Brandon proposed marriage via instant messenger and Lindsay accepted. Brandon posted her an engagement ring set with a single sapphire and three diamonds, which arrived in July 2003. Brandon then arranged to come to Australia to meet Lindsay and her parents. Brandon knew nothing of Matheson, and Matheson knew nothing of Brandon, but Matheson had long been suspicious that something was going on with Lindsay but as he treated their relationship extremely casually, he didn't mention anything to her. On the 7th of September 2003, with Brandon arriving just two days later, Lindsay had to finally do what she'd been putting off for some time. She had to finally tell Matheson that their relationship was over for good and that they could not see each other anymore. 
Initially, Matheson was in shock and pleaded with Lindsay not to break up with him. Eventually, he stormed off in anger. Lindsay did not tell him about her new love and that he was arriving in a couple of days' time. Matheson was unable to accept the relationship that he was happy to keep casual had now ended, and he became extremely intense and obsessive. He started to stalk Lindsay, following her to work, turning up across the road from a train stop, waiting for her at lunchtime, and he seemed to be everywhere that Lindsay went. Brandon landed in Sydney on September the 9th, Lindsay had organised for him to stay in the family home and her mum and stepfather were quite surprised at the shock announcement of her friend arriving from the US but they could see the joy in Lindsay's face so they were happy to welcome Brandon into their home. As you can imagine, it didn't take long for Matheson to see Lindsay and Brandon together. Brandon had met her after work and they were walking hand in hand. It wasn't long before he found out that they were engaged to be married. Okay, so Matheson was happy to have this casual relationship and everything was cool. He didn't treat it as anything serious at all. This all changed when all of a sudden Lindsay finds another guy and ends the relationship. All of a sudden, this casual thing Matheson Matheson had was gone and he couldn't bear to think that his so-called girlfriend was not only broken up with him but she was with someone else. As he was not employed he had a lot of time to think and build up the anger inside. He became intensely possessive and at one stage called Lindsay's sister and told her that he could not live without her. There were a few confrontations between Matheson and Brandon. At one stage, Matheson banged on the door of Lindsay's parents' home and Brandon answered. Matheson went on a rant saying that Lindsay was his girlfriend and told Brandon to go back home. Eventually, Matheson Matheson left, but things were starting to escalate. Lindsay and Brandon were now living together in an apartment directly behind the home where her mother and stepfather lived. They were planning on going to Seattle at Christmas to meet Brandon's parents and they planned to get married while they were there. On Friday the 21st of November, Lindsay told her mum how concerned she was about Matheson. She said, Mum, I don't know what to do about Will. He won't leave me alone and I'm getting very frightened. I don't know what to do about it. On the morning of November 24th, Cynthia, Lindsay's mum, gave her and Brandon an early Christmas present, a early Christmas present of return tickets to Seattle. Lindsay went to work as normal that day at G- Disney Tunes in the city. As she left the building with her friends to go get lunch, Matheson was waiting outside for her and they were seen to argue for at least 10 minutes before Lindsay rejoined her friends. At 5.30pm, 
Lindsay left work and caught a train to Bondi Junction Station where Matheson was waiting for her near the Cock and Bull Tavern just up from the station entrance. Lindsay would never be seen alive again. Brandon, who was waiting for her to get home, tried calling her on her mobile phone, but it was switched off. He called through to her mother, but she said she'd not seen Lindsay either. As time went on, Brandon called police and reported Lindsay missing. At first, police treated it as a runaway, and even Lindsay's mum, Cynthia, thought that maybe all the stress of Matheson's stalking The engagement and marriage plans had been too much for Lindsay and she needed a little space to get her thoughts together. The family put out flyers around town that read Missing Person, Lindsay Van Blanken, aged 18 years of age, white European appearance, 160 to 165 centimetres tall, 60 to 70 kilos of thin build fair complexion and blue-grey eyes. Dark brown hair with reddish tinge, cut to shoulder length on the right side and undercut just below the ear on the left side of the head. Last seen wearing, black jacket, black t-shirt, faded purple tight fitting long pants, US style army boots laced up to the knee and carrying a black coloured vinyl backpack wearing two silver hooped earrings and an engagement ring set with a single sapphire and three diamonds. By Wednesday the 26th of November, the matter was being treated very seriously. They pulled in Matheson for questioning. Matheson confirmed that he had last seen Lindsay at the corner of Edmund and Victoria Streets, Queen's Park, which was not far from her home. He himself then walked across Queen's Park and went straight to his own home. That night, he played the cello in a concert at the Entertainment Centre, where he was described as quite normal by other musicians. He was asked about his relationship with Lindsay, and he said that he was naturally upset when she broke it off, but they had remained friends since then and had seen each other at least once a week. He said that Lindsay seemed perfectly normal when he last saw her. She was very excited about her proposed trip to the United States with Brandon Leonard. In the early morning of December the 7th, police pick up Matheson after reports of a prowler in the area. He was carrying a black backpack. Inside that backpack was another backpack plastic bags, a pick-handled axe, a Stanley knife, scissors, candle holders, candles, cling wrap, hospital-grade disinfectant, three pairs of latex gloves, a newspaper, a torch, and holy water. He tells police he was planning on having a picnic in the local park and he's let go as they have no real reason to detain him. However, the backpack he was carrying was almost certainly that of missing Lindsay Van Blanken. 
So this was a bit of a miss by the local police. That is, of course, if the backpack was Lindsay's. I could not confirm that it was or wasn't, but it really wouldn't matter in the end. Okay. Eventually, Brandon Leonard returned to Seattle beside himself with worry as to what had happened to his fiancée. Police were not getting anywhere until January the 10th, 2004. In an apartment block at 52 Queens Park Road, Queens Park, there had been a smell coming from the ground floor storage area for some time. Most of the residents thought it was probably a dead possum or the like, but as time went on, the stench was becoming unbearable. Eventually, the maintenance guy was called in to see what the problem was. It was a hot summer's day, and as the maintenance guy approached the storage area, the smell became much stronger. He noticed a doorway into the storage room had been blocked by mattresses and old boxes. He cleared these away and entered the room. The smell became absolutely unbearable, especially in the heat of the summer's day. It stunk of rotting flesh. He saw what looked like a large sports bag. In fact, it was a large cricket equipment bag, if you've ever seen one of them, and he dragged it outside of the room to get a better look. He used his penknife to slit open the side and was shocked when a hand fell out the side of the bag. He immediately ran out of the room and called police. Police were quickly onto the scene and established a crime scene and proceeded to forensically examine the area. It didn't take long for police to realise that they were probably looking at the badly decomposing body of Lindsay Van Blanken, as the corpse was wearing a black leather jacket exactly as described as worn by Lindsay on the day of her disappearance. News reports went out about the body in the sports bag and some agencies reporting that it could be that of missing teenager Lindsay Van Blanken. Of course, her family would pick up on one of these reports and her sister Louise Betts did, in fact, hear one of these reports. Louise called her mum and told her of the news report on the radio. As they had not been called by police, they assured each other that it couldn't be Lindsay, but Louise called the police just in case. They then gave her the sad news that they had found a body and that it was wearing clothes identical to what Lindsay was wearing the day she went missing. Cynthia would soon identify the engagement ring as that of Lindsay's and dental records would confirm the body of that of Lindsay Van Blanken. Cable ties were found around her neck indicating that the cause of death was strangulation. Cynthia had to call Brandon in Seattle to break the sad news to him. He was devastated. When Matheson heard about the finding of Lindsay's body, he freaked out and became extremely disturbed. He admitted himself to the Kylo unit 
which is the psychiatric unit of the Prince of Wales Hospital. He was in a state of great distress, weeping and incoherent and talking about suicide. He was diagnosed as suffering from possible schizophrenia and or possible schizotypal personality disorder accompanied by depression. He was placed on medication for these conditions, but it took some time for his condition to stabilise. This meant the police could not interview him until the 22nd of March 2004, when he became well enough to do so. The cricket bag that Lindsay's body was found in was the only one to have been sold in the whole of Sydney's eastern suburbs in the previous six months, and it had been sold at the Rebel Sports Store at Bondi Junction, which is minutes away from where Lindsay lived and was minutes away from where she was ultimately found. It had been sold on the 22nd of November 2003, just two days before Lindsay went missing. Matheson's father had previously told police that he had driven his son to Bondi Junction and that when he returned to the car, he had a large cricket bag he had just purchased. However, Matheson told police that he had in fact found the bag that he carried to his father's car and described to police in detail where he found it. However, film that was taken on security cameras outside the Cock and Bull Hotel at Bondi Junction clearly contradicted his version. This film footage assumed central importance in the trial for it pointed convincingly to the fact that the bag which was carried by Matheson when he got into his father's car was the bag which had been purchased only a few minutes earlier at the Rebel store, being the same bag which was later found to contain the body of Lindsay Van Blanken. Moreover, it showed that Matheson had lied about how he had acquired this bag. A few days later, on the 26th of March 2004, police took Matheson on a walkthrough to the locations at Bondi Junction where he had said he had found the sports bag and the point where he said he had parted from Lindsay on the evening of the 24th of November. He said that after leaving her, he walked straight across Queen's Park. Later evidence showed that this would not have been possible, as sports games were taking place on the park at the time. Very significantly, he said that he was familiar with the apartment building at 52 Queen's Park Road, Queen's Park, as he and Lindsay used to go there and spend some time in one of the storerooms. The room he described was different from the storeroom in which Lindsay's body was located. On the 31st of March 2004, Matheson requested that he be re-interviewed by the police. In this interview, he told them that he had experienced auditory hallucinations for a number of years, 
Voices ordered him to harm or kill people and also to harm himself. He denied, however, that any of these voices related to Lindsay Van Blanken. Specifically, he denied that the voices had ever told him to harm her. He said that he had never told anyone about these voices because he did not want people to be nervous around him. He told his parents about them for the first time on the 11th of January 2004, the day before his admission to the Kilo Centre. He said he had heard these voices for about six years, but had never acted on them as he did not want to hurt anybody. He would go out and walk the streets or sleep in parks rather than stay home and risk burning the house and harming his parents, as the voices were telling him to do. Looks to me like this arse clown was trying to set up some type of insanity defence as he probably thought he was going to be charged at this stage. Anyway... On the 19th of May 2004, Matheson was arrested and charged with the murder of Lindsay Van Blanken. The Crown case at trial was dependent upon circumstantial evidence, as Matheson had consistently denied his guilt. The purchase of the sports bag was the most powerful single piece of evidence against him, but there were other matters linking him with Lindsay's death. These included the fact that he was later found to be in possession of Lindsay's art diary, a book which her mother and sister both said she kept with her at all times. There was also evidence of unusual scratches and other markings on his body immediately after the 24th of November 2003. In addition, there were audio tapes and writings made by Matheson. These indicated the extent of his obsession with Lindsay and some of them also appeared to reveal knowledge that Lindsay was dead, although they were made before her body was located. The cumulative effect of all this evidence made for a strong crown case and it was not surprising that the jury brought in a verdict of guilty. Matheson has always maintained his denial of killing Lindsay and he asserts that he has no memory of anything unusual happening between the two of them on the evening that she went missing. I'm not going to go into the psychological reports on Matheson's mental health because I reckon they are just bullshit. Matheson never complained at any time before Lindsay's body was found of any mental illness. However, his parents did both suffer from varying degrees of mental illness over the years and his brother did commit suicide. I reckon that Matheson did to some degree have mental health issues or he wouldn't have done what he did. However, I reckon he only exaggerated these issues as some kind of excuse for his actions in murdering Lindsay. In fact, all I will say is that when his interviews with police just days after Lindsay went missing 
were analysed by Dr Stephen Allnut, a forensic psychiatrist. He concluded that he saw in the interview little or no evidence that would lead him to believe that Matheson was suffering from a major mental illness. And he found that he could, no, he could find no evidence to support the conclusion that he was suffering from an impairment of judgment at that time. So basically, Matheson was having everyone on in trying to act like he was hearing voices and they told him to kill. The judge found that, in my view, Dr. Allnut's analysis is very compelling. In the end, I find that whatever psychiatric condition that Matheson was suffering from at the time had little causative effect upon this killing. It might have and probably did produce some impairment of judgment, but its ameliorating effects were of minor order only. He also found that it was not a crime of passion, rather it had been premeditated by the purchase of the cable ties and the sports bag. He went on to say, The killing itself was brutal and cruel to the extreme. The cable ties used to strangle Lindsay were such that, once in place, they could only be tightened. It was impossible to loosen or release them. We will never know the ruse by which Matheson lured Lindsay to the place where she met her death, but once there, when she realised what was going to happen, one can only start to imagine the horror she must have suffered. It is a horror which haunts her mother and her sister to this day. The judge handed down the following sentence. William Harold Matheson For the murder of Lindsay Van Blanken, I sentence you to a non-parole period of 18 years to commence on the 19th of May 2004 and to expire on the 18th of May 2022. The balance of your term of imprisonment will be nine years, expiring on the 18th of May 2031, a total sentence of 27 years. Now, years later, that sentence would be adjusted for various legal reasons. He would be sentenced to a non-parole period of 18 years and a balance of term of seven years. The non-parole period is to commence on the 19th of May 2004 and expire on the 18th of May 2022, with the balance of term to expire on 18th of May 2029. So it's only the non-parole period that was adjusted. So, at least that bastard's put away for a few more years to come. Let's hope the parole board don't let this scum out early. When you look at it, what I see, at least, was this dude that was never really ready to commit to a full-on relationship. In fact, Lindsay was his first girlfriend. I mean, they didn't even seem to be really boyfriend and girlfriend anyway. They just seemed to hang out with each other. But as soon as Lindsay wanted to move on, Matheson couldn't handle the fact that she would not be there for him anymore. All of a sudden, he became extremely possessive and began to stalk her. 
When he found out that she was with another man, this sent him off the rails, and he then actively started planning to kill her. Yes, people get upset when relationships break up, and it does take time to get over these things. But to actually go out and kill that person, I mean, what the fuckity fuck? The I can't have her so no one will bullshit. I mean, but there there are people out there right now that are like that. They're just ready to be triggered into committing murder on their significant other. Now, please, if you are in some sort of abusive relationship, please seek help. If you're being stalked, please seek help. Just Google the local services in your area. There are people out there willing to help. From the time Matheson was told by Lindsay that their relationship was over until he killed her was just 78 days. Kill her for what? What what good did it do anyone? Her family lose their daughter and sister. Brandon loses his fiancée. Matheson, dickhead, ends up spending most of his life in prison. It's just a pathetic fucking waste all round. At least I, I can report that the sentencing was on the harsher side. Now, for a little bit of news and the reason why I selected this case for this week's episode was... Excavation at a construction site in Ranwick last week uncovered a backpack and several bones. The backpack belonged to Lindsay Van Blanken. It contained a mobile phone and Discman portable CD player, amongst other things. It was probably buried by Matheson to conceal evidence. The bones that were found around the backpack were found to be animal and human bones. However, the human bones seem to be from anatomical exhibits. So, that's the tragic story of Lindsay Van Blanken. A life cut short in her prime by a gutless, pathetic waste of a human. Thoughts go out to Lindsay's family, friends, and of course, her fiancé, Brandon. Shout out to the island's new Patreons. Hi to Joe Varney who upped the pledge because of my Elvis impression last week. Thanks, Joe. A big shout out to Nick Russell and Anna Avery. Thank you so much. And thanks so much to Senga, who most of you may know from Facebook, who's increased her pledge as well this week. Thank you all so much for your support of the island. As I said, I'm just about to order a new PC to replace the dead one, and I will upload pickies when it's up and running. If you want to become a patron of the island, just go to www.patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland, where for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a patreon. All funds go directly back to the island. You can also do one-off payment via PayPal, and you can do that by typing paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. And cryptocurrency will be here soon. 
If you want stickers for koozies, you need to email me directly. And my email is cambo at truecrimeisland.com and I can price it up for you according to where you live. I have a few left, so be quick. All other merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs of rage and the like, it's via the shop at truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Now there's links to everything at the website truecrimeisland.com anyway. True Crime Island is a listener-supported show and is commercial-free for all. Again, you do not have to spend money to support the show. You can rate, review and share the love. The more people who know about the show, the better. If people don't know what a podcast is, then show them the way. Join the Facebook group, just search for True Crime Island and join in the chat. Don't forget to check out the Twitter and Instagram. The island handle is at True Crime Island. Well, that's about all for tonight. So, this has been Cambo, and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night.